Hey, this is Shane Connery Volk. You're listening to Music's Journey Podcast with my friend Kim Sear. You just heard a snippet of the brand new single, Shiver, by Calgary-based singer-songwriter, rock artist, Shane Connery Voke. Shane is best known as the lead singer and songwriter of the rock band One Bad Son. Shane's live show performances are legendary in the rock world, and his insane vocal range has put him in a league of his own as the rock and roll frontman for at least the last 18 years. He has toured with some of the most incredible artists such as Def Leppard, Judas Priest, and Shine Down, just to name a small few, and landed the coveted spot on the only Canadian stop of the 2019 Rolling Stones tour. Here to talk about his first single and his release of his 20-page graphic novel that he created called Shiver with Mad Cove Studio is my very special guest, Shane Connery Volk. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's so good to be here, Kim. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been a fantastic day so far. It's been a long time coming. (laughs) Well, we are so happy. I'm telling you, I don't know anybody that's got as many careers as you've got going and killing it (laughs) and every one of them, let me tell you. Well, thank you so much. We're going to talk about the new single, but we'd like to start at the beginning with you, if that's okay. Absolutely. Now, you grew up in a small town, right on a farm with your parents. Your mom's still on the farm, isn't she? Yes, actually, it's about two hours outside of Saskatoon, ah. uh, just a little a little farm. Yeah, just uh, grew up on a farm out there. So fans may not know that you started out in acting first, and yep. then you became a snowboard instructor. <laughs> Man, you really, you, you really did your homework. Wow, that's crazy. Now, I got to ask, how did you become a snowboard instructor in Saskatchewan? Um, great question well you know yeah growing up on the farm I was a very imaginative kid a dreamer I guess you would say I was always drawing and and creating stuff and really never knew what I wanted to do with my life I mean it was one of those things when you're 15 years old and uh, I remember like universities would send people out saying what do you want to do and where do you want to go and I thought I don't how am I supposed to know I'm 15 I, I don't know so my my parents always like from the earliest age just encouraged me to really just follow my passions and just figure out those things and you can't figure out what you want to do with your life unless you do some things and mm-hmm. so yeah I always had this creative side but I also had an athletic side I, I mean I played every sport you could imagine growing up as you do in uh, small town Saskatchewan anyway I I really loved snowboarding and I just there was a point in my life where very early on I just wanted some adventure I mean I love the farm I still it's one of my favorite places to go to but I just wanted to see some of the world and I remember seeing that you could get your snowboard instructor certificate at a uh, the biggest hill in Saskatchewan called Table Mountain Um, it's actually pretty big out there in comparison to the rest (laughs) trust me when you're you're standing on top of that hill compared to any other one like yeah it's crazy next to maybe Cypress Hills but uh no so I got that and I just wanted some adventure I just needed to to get out and start seeing some of the world and so I went out and got my my certificate, <laughs> found a place to teach it at Silver Star Mountain in Vernon, British Columbia, and I went and snow was an instructor for a year, and it was honestly, it's exactly what a, a kid coming out of high school needs, just to get some new surroundings, different people, 
mm-hmm. out of your comfort zone. And, uh, you know, I've always done that in my life. And I, I think I, I really think back very fondly to that winter because uh, it was just me. I didn't go out with friends. I just my parents lent me the car for for a few months and I just went out and, and figured it out. So it was super, super cool. Very cool. Because then you got into the acting end of it until 9-11, right? When that whole yeah. industry shut down, because I remember that so well. Oh, man. Yeah, that's you. Hey, you've really done your research. I very much appreciate it. Yeah, I um, after the snowboarding stuff, I just same kind of feeling like it was great. It was a, a, a super cool experience. But then I was thinking like, OK, what do I want to do? Um, music wasn't really in my life yet as a possibility. And I always had comic art on my mind, but I, from an early age, I just remember thinking like, there's certain things I could always do. Like you could draw when you're 90 years old, there's no time limit on that, Mm -hmm. you know, but I just had this feeling like there are some things that might come with a bit of a time limit. Um, and so I just thought I was interested in acting. I had done some dinner theater and stuff and I figured, well, maybe that's the thing. So I, I went to school in Camrose, Alberta, they had a, a really good drama program. It was Augustana University at the time. I think it's uh, the U of A now. Mm-hmm. They had a great drama program, and I just thought, hey, I, I don't know how to get into acting. I, again, coming from a farm and even Saskatchewan, it's not like there's a huge film industry there where you have a bunch of friends that are <laughs> actors and people that can tell you the right places to go. And again, my parents, super supportive of me, helped me get to university and, um, I took a year of drama there, which was amazing. Actually, at the drama school I was at, we did a a musical, which is where I got my first singing lessons and and was very encouraged by one of my singing instructors who was like, hey, you've got a voice. Did you know you can sing? And I said, nope, Uh, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was kind of my first taste of singing as well. And and then from there, I, I just realized doing a drama degree was not going to be the thing. I just thought this was a great year, but I would probably learn as much, if not more, moving to Vancouver, getting an agent, getting auditions, starting that whole process. Right. And I, I think I was in Vancouver for a grand total of three weeks. I I had an agent, um, auditions booked, things were coming up and yeah, that was right. I mean, I moved to Vancouver, I think the end of August of 2001. And so uh, when September 11th happened, yeah, my, I mean, and you remember, as you said, you remember that time my agent called me and she just said, Hey, I, we don't know what's happening. Like mm-hmm. the, the industry is shut down. She's like, this has never happened. Like everything, every movie, every TV show, there's no auditions. There's no anything It could be a year. It could be two years, five years. It may never come back. Like it was such a crazy. So I came home and just was like, okay now what (laughs) (laughs) and lo and behold here comes the music part of this right well and a hundred percent i mean it's it's interesting how life works and you you wonder what would happen what would my life be like had that not happened what i would i have just lived in vancouver would i have succeeded would i be a movie star right now would i have failed miserably and (laughs) ended up being a musician anyways who knows right like but as it happened i came home and my plan was to go back to Vancouver to start acting again whenever that could happen. And the months were kind of going by and everything was still closed and everything was just really up in the air. And I saw an ad 
at a at a music store I'm looking for a singer and I thought to myself you know this is an itch I just wanted to scratch I didn't want to be a singer I didn't have dreams of being a rock star I just thought I got time to kill and why not just try out that that'd be fun you know try so again I was at a point in my life of just trying new things and how old were um, you then I was 21 yeah I think I'd have been I was a late bloomer I yeah I didn't really start into music until yeah 21 22 something like that wow so it was kind of funny like at 21 years old I remember because I went to university when I was 20 or 21 and people were like oh you're so old to be in university what are you doing here <laughs> I thought, wow I thought oh really okay Times have uh, changed. <laughs> oh I know right and uh and then joining the band that you know those guys were like oh so have you played or some I've never never done this before ever like I don't have friends that play music really uh, aside from a few friends that would jam in high school but anyway I tried out for this band and um I Let's just say this, Kim. I wasn't the best singer, but I was a hell of a performer. So <laughs> I think I may have got I got the gig based solely on just my stage antics alone because I thought I could learn the singing part, but I can give them a hell of a show while I do that. So nice. Um, but you know, my first the first time I stepped on stage, it was surreal. Something I just didn't expect. I mean, I thought I'd have a lot of fun, but it, literally after the first show. I was just like, this is what I want to do. Like, forget everything. I, I, and then it hit me with the acting stuff. I'm like, I could also pick that up in my 50s. Man, you, you thought act. years ahead, didn't you? <laughs> oh, I did. Really but did. I, and then it really hit me then because I still had that thing in my head of like, what do you need to do when you're young, right? Like, acting is not contingent on being 20 years old, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I was like, this rock and roll thing, I feel like starting it in my fifties might be a little tough, but you know, so now, and I just fell in love with it. So that was the thing. I, I was in that band for a year. Uh, things kind of broke down as they do with, you know, kids and bands. And then um, I met up with Kurt and the rest is history. As far as that goes. I mean, I was, that's, it was music then for 18 plus years and still is now I'm just integrating other things into it, but the band is alive and well. So, Oh gosh. Yeah. You guys have been touring like crazy, you know, when it comes to your schedules, but this last year and a half has really had its toll on all the bands that were touring. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. Such a tough one. What was it like for you going through all this? You know, I had plans. I had recorded shiver, uh, in the summer of 2019, we just did this big show at the Rolling Stones. It's riding I was, this high. I, I remember that one really well. Oh, were you at that show? Burles Creek. Burles Creek. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like what a moment. And I'm sure we'll we'll get into this after. But we will. <laughs> I had come. I had. I, but I had come from this sort of creative low, just burnt out. And again, we'll talk about that. But coming into the Rolling Stones show, and I had. Uh, just this I was on this creative high and I had booked studio time to record shiver did that like it was just this okay we're doing it like I was gonna record like three or four more songs and in 2020 do mm -hmm. one bad son start integrating some of my solo stuff I mean it was always intended to be a side project anyways and not ever take over for the band is just another way to get some creativity out mm -hmm. so anyway i had these plans and then um yeah covid hit and it was like you're doing none of that now it's it's all over and um much like what we just touched on with 9 11 it was that same feeling of what 
does this mean? How long does this mean? What, you know, and, and for my sole income has been OBS for 15 plus years, right? So it's mm-hmm. not just, oh, wow, we don't get to hang out and have fun and play shows. It's like, you don't have any money coming in at all, like zero. That was daunting. Luckily, um, the comic book stuff had just kicked in. So that was, I got to kind of dive headfirst into that. So there wasn't a lot of waiting around. I mean, I had to do the comic book stuff and how did it you, was great. It was a contest it that you entered into that to get into that to begin with in Miami, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, we're jumping around a bit, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> that's how it goes when you're talking about this stuff. There's we'll just, just so touch much a little bit on but... this and we'll come back to it. But yeah, because sure. like yeah, during no, I... that time, it's just like that downtime for you, leaning back into that creative end, and yes. just that and... idea to be able to do that and enter into a contest well, and... like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it turned out to be a major blessing to to really go head first into comic stuff and not have a bunch of other things around it because I was able to really focus on that. But yeah, no, I entered a contest in 2019. I had found randomly on the internet and I uh, thought, okay, well, that let's try it. I mean, whatever. And I ended up winning it and landed Nottingham. So and much that's... longer story than that, but that's the nutshell version. I'm telling you, I don't know anybody who can juggle four different careers at the same time seriously like you do it all well, it's, it's yet it's yet to be determined how well i'm able to juggle it but we're we're doing our best here oh man you're out in calgary now right yes what's the music scene like out there now in calgary it's been it's been a few years it's been probably six years since i've been out there well you know i'll tell you something i'm not super plugged into it it's kind of this thing where when the band started when obs started in saskatoon we were very much, you know, you knew every band, all the bands that were trying trying to do the same things that you're doing, which is like you're starting out, you're back in the day, you're hanging posters, you're, and you're playing together, and it's all the stuff. But once you hit kind of a, a level of success where you're, it's not local for you anymore. Like we play one show a year in Saskatoon, and the rest is all on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't been able to fully plug into the Calgary scene because it's, you know the band is out touring and mm-hmm. so you don't you're just not you're never you're not able to to plug into a scene like you would if you were really starting out in that scene and really knew all the bands and all the underground bands and um i mean i really miss that mm-hmm. but of course a good chunk of my time living here has been covid so there's no chance to really discover much out there anyways but uh yeah, so it's it's a tough question to answer because there just there has been nothing to discover here so yeah. i hope because it's a hot zone. It's, it's been a really hot zone out there too, which, you know, you guys have had to be a little bit more careful. But I know that Calgary Stampede, yes. you were able to get out to that this year, right? Well, I, you know, it was an outdoor show. Our two two bands that I'm very good friends with, uh, Default was playing. I um, love Default. They're, they're, oh. Yeah, and their drummer produced our, our first label album. And then The Wild are just, you know, my best friend, uh, Dylan, is the singer and it was outdoors. I think if it was indoors, I wouldn't have felt comfortable, even though, of course, they, they were trying to ease all these restrictions, and uh, we, we won't go there with my thoughts on that. But, mm-hmm. like, it was outdoor. It was super open. We could stay very distant. So it, it felt good to go to a show, though it was still very, very strange, and, and you just still didn't feel like... It's not the same. Know, it's not quite, no, and you just yeah. felt like maybe this shouldn't be happening. But it was cool that it was outside and everybody could be very... You know, it was very distanced and stuff. So 
Um, the one thing yeah, so the, I was able to see that. The one thing with the Calgary Stampede on the bill this year, we're just all Canadians, which is really different with the U.S. border being shut down. It was all yeah, Canadians that, cool. that were doing the show, yeah. Yeah, that was actually really cool to see, honestly, because there's a lot of bands that wouldn't get a chance to play something like that, mm -hmm. you know, because they, and rightfully so, you've got to lean on a lot of the big American bands to make sure you have a big draw and, and add legitimacy and all those things. That's just part of the game, right? Well, yeah, because so many people come to the Calgary Stampede from all over the world. And so yeah. it was a big part that they were missing, you know, in the tourism yeah. and everything. But to, to be able to get the Canadian acts in there and just be able to have that bill for that was pretty cool. When you look back and you think about how the most successful bands in the world, like Judas Priest, handpicked you guys to be able to go out on yeah. tour with them. And then you've toured with Def Leppard. What, what was an ultimate moment for you? Was it nerve-wracking meeting some of these bands? Like, what was what was the feeling for you? Um, well, Def Leppard was our very first arena shows uh, that we ever did, and that was just, it's mind-blowing because it's the kind of stuff you dream about, right? Like, that's when you're a kid and you're imagining and you're going to watch, you know, my first, I think my first concert ever was ACDC, and you're just blown away, and you mm -hmm. think, wow, what a, and so I got to play that same stage with Def Leppard, and so that was cool i mean you you can't talk the first time you get to step out onto an arena stage and the crowd erupts and it's just everything you'd imagine it's it's overwhelming and crazy and just so much fun was there a moment an ultimate moment for you that was just so nerve-wracking because you love being out on stage you're phenomenal when it comes to your live shows well, thank you and thank you. there's got to be some point for you that was just incredibly nerve-wracking for you well every night and especially the first show and probably the Saskatoon show because for us it's like coming home to do an arena show in front of your hometown was like and it was packed and we knew that everyone knew us right so it was like we got a crazy response so we'd always start the show like Kurt and the boys would go out first you know the lights came down they walked out and when the three of them walked out I could hear the crowd go bananas and that was like and so <laughs> I waited backstage because we just is part of the choreography is mm -hmm. they start up and then I, I run out on stage and start singing and that's the second kind of big like oh it's happening you know it's just a great moment mm -hmm. um, but part of me wishes I had just gone out with them first because standing back there and watching them walk out to the sea of applause it just sent like a, a pit into my stomach of like oh my god like I now I have to psych myself up to go into that <laughs> as opposed to like had I just gone into it and it had just happened to me I wouldn't be sitting here with these all this self-doubt right I would just be in it but I sat back there especially at that show just thinking oh my god wow. <laughs> I have to go perform now but of course you know that's all just normal nerves and and that sort of thing once anytime I get on stage as soon as we start going it's like you're lost in the moment and then you just don't ever want to leave you just wish that that show would go forever because it's the greatest feeling in the world 18 years and running yes that's pretty yep. pretty damn cool i'm telling you like, yeah i feel your, very fortunate your vocals are just insane to me always have been <laughs> every time well, i've you. seen you guys play live it's just such a phenomenal show you guys put on well thank you so much i mean we it, we've always said because we played to a lot of crowds of five people whether it's five people or 500,000 like they get an OBS show 
we just have that kind of pride and just a, a work ethic and we just never wanted to go out on stage ever mm-hmm. if you knew one person was in the crowd and they paid to see you they get the show you know and so that always translated to those bigger stages and and then you really get to let loose and also that's not real life let's face it you're up there singing for a rock band if you're not enjoying that moment mm-hmm. if that has become mundane to you I, you've got to pick a different career i think because i it's think just... so yeah because the live performance is what this is all about right yes. is you guys getting out there that's the music that's what you're delivering and yeah, I, yeah I, I absolutely agree with you on that because the rest of it's the business end of it <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, trust me, like writing's great. And, you know, days like this, like Shiver coming out and anytime a single drops, like it's exciting and the studio can be fun. And but like, yeah, the it's all all of that is so that you can go play that music for people Mm -hmm. live. Yeah. And that's what the whole thing is about. Absolutely. Yeah. You're so right. Now, you guys are you guys are heading back out on tour for One Bad Sun in 2022, right? That yeah, that is absolutely the plan for sure. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Be nice to get back out to some of those. Oh. I've missed it so much. Holy cow! I know we can't wait. We absolutely can't wait. I can't imagine how COVID must have been to hit the band the way that it has, because you guys were yeah. touring constantly, and then it comes yes. to a complete halt. Did you ever think, like, I'm done touring, or is it? Mm-mm, we want to get back well, out. Well. I mean, obviously, uh, Hicks left the band earlier this summer, mm-hmm. um, and it, I mean, it, COVID hit everybody a bit different, and I think it's not just the COVID thing so much as it's also just having that much time away, and I know a lot of artists that stepped away, and even behind-the-scenes people, guitar mm-hmm. techs, and, and, and who just were like, I like being home, mm-hmm. um, maybe being away from my family eight months out of the year is not a the grind I want anymore and so I think it I can't speak for Hicks obviously like we left on very good terms and he's he's a brother for life I mean you don't go through that kind of experience with somebody and then never hang out again Mm -hmm. um but I think it's just it, it put things into perspective for people and and I think some yeah some people definitely were just they didn't I think again this isn't about hicks this is honestly about everybody other everybody i think there were just people who just kind of realized i don't need it like i don't you know you you probably miss being on stage in like the certain moments but you don't miss the grind you don't miss again being away from family and stuff and i think for a lot of people they just realized yeah i mean i loved it i'll always cherish it but like i don't need it uh but for kurt and i i don't know there there isn't if, if I didn't have live music in my life and especially One Bad Son and like the big rock and roll, like I love Shiver and I, it's really been awesome to do my own thing and, and I'll be playing smaller intimate shows and I like that environment but mm-hmm. without without rock and roll and a band and, and the whole thing, I just, I would lose such a huge, huge part, part of myself. Yeah. Yeah, that I, I just, I miss it so much, absolutely. We've had a lot of bands that have just formed in the last five years that are at the top of their game that have had to completely come to a halt and have gone yeah. through suffers of loss, you know, when it comes to band members. You guys have yeah. been together for so long and you can understand what it's like to be able to come off a of touring, like you guys become like a machine. Yeah, when, you absolutely. Know, you know, you're not doing the albums the same because I would imagine, like with all of the uh, songs that you guys got in your catalog, 
and people yeah. coming out to see the shows are going to want to hear that stuff and then throwing yeah. in a couple new songs is the smart thing to do and yeah, you know just absolutely. a couple singles but um you would imagine that coming off of all of that you guys never have had time to sit no. back kick back and say okay you know what i can think again <laughs> i can oh. i can unplug get away from all the noise and it lasts any length of time before you guys had to go right back out again yeah you know and that's a great point because um i i know we needed it uh, i think we were all feeling it like i was very burned out after the last tour um and just the last record cycle in general um and it's again it's like this sort of blessing in disguise but also i recognize that covid mm -hmm. i mean it's 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 killed so many people in this world like it's yeah. not something where you're like oh it kind of worked out for me and that's a hard thing to say but on a personal level i've never spent this much time with my wife and i have absolutely loved every day of waking up with her and um having a nor like that sense of normality and just seeing this person that you love every day and mm -hmm. that's been an absolute gift uh but you realize what that's at the expense of mm -hmm. um and I think for Kurt and I, um, and I think I can speak for him on this as well, it's also given us this perspective of what the band can be. It doesn't have to be this grind in the future, and it doesn't have to be this, you know, That's absolute. That's well, yeah. yeah, like it's not the band or your family or the band or this. It's like you can do the band and this. You can have um, more time. And honestly, you make a good point about new bands. Like I feel, I feel really bad for bands that have, they're trying to build an audience and then they get that ripped away at least for us as hard as it's been financially and and everything else we know that our fans are going to be there when we come mm -hmm. back we could take mm -hmm. five we could take five years off ten years and we'd still have fans when we come back um and that's an absolute luxury um but also something that we built over this much say, time so one band or yeah. one fan at a time you did the grind in the clubs oh. and you know <laughs> we definitely did absolutely you know, you've done your dues yeah. when it comes to getting that kind of fan base because you know you guys you guys have rocked it for such a long time but you deliver and like you said when it's it's rare to hear people go in like especially for bands that are starting out they don't think about it because they're always saying oh I'm, i don't want to be in these clubs anymore i don't want yeah. to be in these small little venues where we're playing for 30 people one night 200 another but yeah. when you're you connect with people those people are lifers and rock and roll fans are lifers and oh, yeah it's such a great point mm -hmm. honestly that kim that is like the uh, such a great point because i think there's this fear and it's a natural fear that bands have of like if I take two weeks off, another band comes in in that two weeks and, and steals all our fans. So we got to be in everyone's face all the time. And the truth is, especially with rock and roll, that's the absolute blessing with rock and roll is those fans are hardcore. Like they, they're not, they're not fair weather fans. So our fans will always be there for us. And we have the just the greatest fan base ever they're so loyal and just supportive and all of those things um and i can't say that for every genre because honestly mm -hmm. rock fans are just they're they're very loyal and they know they love rock and roll um to the core they they don't sort of love it and listen to it every now and then like that's their thing mm -hmm. and of course they've got room for many different rock bands if they love a band they'll just love them they just add them to the list they don't have to kick one out because they love a new one <laughs> well hard, hard rock has taken though such a hit in the last you know a few years 
you know, radio stations that, you know, we're yeah. really promoting. And that's the one thing I miss because that's why I do a lot of the rock artists here on this show because yeah, it's, it's to me, it's just a legacy that's got to remain. And so yeah. many, so many of them have dropped away and, and a lot of really great hosts, radio hosts that, um, that are like myself that have lost that end of it and start yeah. doing it on this end where we can just bring the voice back to rock. And I think it's just Absolutely. so important. You've, you've seen so much change too in the uh, music industry yourself along yeah. the way. And then seeing how the digital streaming, everything that's gone into the CD, to the vinyl, all of it, huge change. We often joke that we, like, we literally started our band probably at the worst time historically because we were five to 10 years too late to be like in the old, system like mm -hmm. where bands like Alice in Chains and, and every band before came from but we were like five to ten years too early to be fully integrated into the digital world and streaming and like it was such a weird time like the mid 2000s mm -hmm. it, it was like at the tail end of like the Napster stuff and and now people weren't buying records and it was this really and it still is to a degree of like where is everything going but you're really starting to see things settle out now with i mean mm -hmm. streaming's not going anywhere that's really taken over as how people are going to get their music for a long time to come i think and there's but a yeah, there's a silver been... lining to that too because you know a lot of bands that have never been able to get seen that were here in canada or you know in other countries yeah. you, it's a, a level playing field to some degree where people yeah. can hear your music so much easier absolutely and honestly as much as people would like to complain about it or say it used to be better or whatever the truth is a life in the arts is very difficult mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter it could be 1965 and you're starting a band and that's very tough to get fans it's very hard to get people to to care about what you're doing mm -hmm. and that is absolutely no different in 2021 it's like because now you have the opposite problem of oh i can get my songs on spotify or, or apple music but so can everybody else that yeah. means that now the pool is so saturated that you're no matter what the difficulties are specifically starting a band and trying to have a life in music or or the arts is just difficult straight mm -hmm. up like there has never been a time i think there's a tendency for people to be like oh it used to be easier or now it's easier or whatever but the truth is it's always been extremely difficult to do this for a living 100 um, percent. yeah you got to be ready for it if you're going to get into it um they don't call us starving artists for no reason i think so. that's where the live performance really takes an effect because of this you know level playing field it's one thing to deliver a song on the internet but it's a totally yeah. different ball game to be able to get in front of an audience and keep them Yes, As absolutely. Fans. Yeah, I yeah, think, couldn't I think have that's said it a huge, that huge difference. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. What was it like for you guys when you opened up for the Stones? Because June 29th was a very special day for an awful lot of people <laughs> in 2019. So tell it us about crazy. that, taking the stage. Pretty sweet deal. It was very cool. Um, I mean, we were the first band of the day, so it's not as though we were like hanging out with the stones before or after i mean they flew in and flew out you know they're they're living they're very much living on a different uh rock and roll planet <laughs> than the rest of us That's so um true. but just to 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 be there and be on that bill and even just seeing your name in that lineup it's just uh, it's not it's indescribable very simply put um it just it felt like 
very much the culmination of a lot of hard work and also just uh, your a, a dream coming true. I mean, they're they're a direct link back to where rock and roll started in mm-hmm. so many ways. And what a, what a just what a crazy thought that is. And of course, now with Charlie gone, and you always knew that they can't go forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's cool to know that we played one of the last shows with that lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, very special moment. Um, absolutely. And just what a day. Beautiful weather. Couldn't have been a better day. I know things have changed so much when it comes to bands getting together in that brotherhood that you guys, I, I don't know what it is, if it's just the difference in attitude with people today in the younger generation than when you guys got together because so many of the bands like the Stones, you guys, Kiss, so many I can think of that have stayed together for such a long time. And then now you see bands that are only together maybe five years. They disband and you never hear from them again. It's very much, honestly, I think that that is part of our perception because uh, even when we started, it was the ongoing, it, it was a joke, but also the reality that like an average shelf life of a band is three years, like mm-hmm. on average and always has been really because you get together with people that you can play with. You have songs, you're stoked, you get out, you're, you're charged up and you put out music and it's great and your friends and everyone supports it. And then, you know, by the second year, well, now you're not fresh and new anymore and maybe you have some infighting and maybe it's not as easy as you thought and who people that were coming to the show a year ago aren't coming anymore. And then by the third year, you're like, yeah, forget it. This is too much. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. I don't think that it's, I don't think it's necessarily different with the current generation. It's just that some bands and some people have this level of magic that happens between them. And I know mm-hmm. Kurt and I have always had that. There's just a, I don't know. There's always a feeling that even when we were going through any kind of, I mean, you're in a band for long enough. There's going to be a bit of, you know, difficult times here and there. And like there was never and but we never had a feeling. It's much like a marriage. Like you can have a fight, but you're not like we're going to break up. Yeah, like that's what I I guess that's what I'm trying to get to is like I think that you guys work through it. You have that understanding that there's going to be problems and you're going to stick together. You're going to work it out like most of the time. Yeah, there will always be bands like that. And I'm sure there will be going forward but i also think that there might be a bit of unfairness with bands today too because i think that you're seeing people your perception is like oh my god this band had like a hit on tiktok and now they're like they're rich and like and everybody it looked more than ever now like you could just do things right and have this massive career Mm -hmm. i do feel bad for a lot of younger musicians that are like you know in their late teens or early 20s that there's an illusion now more than ever yeah you could just do it like get get a hit on a platform like tiktok or wherever and just take off but it's like that's a massive illusion mm-hmm. going back to an earlier point those bands start out and realize oh that person that had this hit uh, blow up on tiktok and become this big thing that's one in not a million that might be one in like five million it's people so that are trying to do the same thing and so they have their bubble burst when we started you knew that like you weren't going to put a song out have a radio hit and become a millionaire like we just we knew that wasn't going to happen so maybe there's just an extra illusion to 
to bands now they that they think right it might there. be easy. I wanted to talk about getting another comic book series. Holy cow. We got to talk about this. <laughs> You're a professional comic book artist. And when yes. you talked about Nottingham, wow. Is there anything you can't do? Uh, I can't dance. I'm a Ooh. terrible dancer. Is that um, going to be your useless talent that I'm going to ask later? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. Math, if you ask me to add two numbers together, like, forget it. Like, I often joke that, like, the things I'm – I'm not good at everything. It's just that the things I'm good at are very flashy. Do you mm. know what I mean? That's the artistry, like, though. That's, that's that well, creative side of you. I had a – I'll tell you what, I had a my a principal in the school that I, I went to when I grew up named Dave Dillon. Guy was a math genius. Like he was one of those people, like you could give him you'd say like two thousand fifty times eight hundred and ninety two and he'd just be like, uh this, like genius level. But like that's not flashy. You're not going out and going on the road <laughs> with that. You know what I mean? So it's like my talents just happen to be in this world where you, you get a fan base and and people you know if you're going to be a comic book artist and you're successful like thousands hundreds of thousands and millions of people might see your work so it's just kind of comes with the territory <laughs> i don't know why because I, for me i can relate to you very easily because i used to sit at the table and draw cartoons when i was a kid oh did you that's, oh yeah that's cool when my mom was baking and stuff like that that's what i did for my pastime either that or sports it was one or the other but yeah I think the comic book life, uh, well, it's changed so much too, but it mirrors this industry, the music oh, yeah, industry. Absolutely. Is that what so you much, found for very you? Very much. Yeah, absolutely. I really find that all the arts do because I, I do a bit of acting as well. And it's like, it's all, mm -hmm. it's kind of the same thing with differences, but it, at the core, it's, it's trying to create art, mm -hmm. get people to care about that art and somehow get people to pay money for that art. If, yeah, if it's you're a doing story. it commercially. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's a story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I used to do the storyboards when I used to produce shows. I used oh, to cool. have to do all the storyboards. So I'm sure that's kind of what you're doing when it comes to Nottingham. Yeah. So it, yeah. explain that for people that may not know, you know, the comic world. Basically, for this series, I'm I'm just the artist. So there's a, a guy, David Hazan, is the writer. He wrote the series. So he writes writes it, and then I get a script that looks very much like a movie script. So it'll say page one is five panels. Uh, the sheriff comes in, does this and this, says this and this, and then I interpret that. God, that's um, gotta be a lot of work. It was the hardest part, and I'm still not great at it. Like, honestly, I it's a every single day I sit at the drawing table, it's a learning experience, and I'm drawing something I've never drawn before. Like, I've never drawn this many horses or medieval buildings and castles, so it's, um, you think you're not good at this? I, well, okay, I've me... seen your stuff. <laughs> Holy cow. You are so good at this. Really, here's, here's really the... good at this. I'll, I'll tell you the secret to becoming at successful at probably anything. The main secret is to jump in with your eyes closed and your ears closed and just hope. <laughs> <laughs> that somewhere along the way you will figure out what is going on around you because it, it's like I kind of started drawing more seriously a few years ago and I wasn't good enough to be honest to draw a comic series I'd have some level of like blind faith in myself to figure it out wow. so if I overthought 
where my skill level was at when I sent my work into Mad Cave for this contest, I wouldn't have done it. Like, I'd have just objectively looked at my stuff and been like, you're not ready yet. Like, maybe next year. But I'm also like, well, submit it. And if you get it, you will figure it out. You'll figure it out even if it's going to be like eight panic-stricken months of absolute hell. Like, you'll come out the other end with a new skill, no matter how it goes. So, <laughs> and, and you did because you came out with this like they sold out they broke records yeah. you know when you yeah. did this series for the first time because it's coming out again you're, you're working on the second series now right yeah for yeah Nottingham. so it was uh yeah absolutely yeah i uh, i've got pages hanging behind me right now and a pile of work ready them. to go you're gonna have, i know i know you're gonna have to put some up on your instagram or something i will i'm not allowed to share a lot of the stuff until it's actually printed but uh that's true but the first yeah, series but, oh, you could. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was it was crazy because again, I don't know a ton about the comics industry. Like I grew up reading comics and stuff, and I mean, I just dove into this thing. And I didn't know that. I thought maybe you were a part of the comic world to be able to think that way. No, you know, I was like that, and I'm like that annoying kid that's just like, <laughs> oh, I'll I'll do it. Like. <laughs> give it to me like and then everybody that's been trying to yeah they've been trying to do it forever i just stumble in like you know and just but and, and to be honest though i just i learned a great work ethic growing up on the farm right it's i like was gonna take something ask on. you this this is what i was thinking yeah. because of the work ethic that you have to have that discipline yeah. you have to have working on a farm whether that played into the way that you look at jobs and and the way that you would go about this well yeah i mean absolutely a hundred percent whether it's music or anything else comic art it's like i watched my parents work their asses off their whole life and to provide for us and also to have a life and just there was never anything that had to be done that they ever said was too much it was like well something has to be done you do it that's kind of how it is on a farm right there's no and days off there's nothing no yeah no and you're you're completely self-reliant so and that's the other thing i mean you're not on a time frame like you don't have to seed and you don't have to do anything but if you don't you don't eat mm -hmm. like there's no there's no clock telling you you don't wake up and they say like oh seeding starts this date you decide all those things and you decide how much work you're going to put into it and i've done that with every venture i have gone into and it's honestly it's always paid off in that not everything has been massively successful all the time but i've always learned lessons from everything that i've tried mm -hmm. i'm a firm believer that you really can't fail in life there really is no such thing as failure there's only lessons there's only like life building you mm -hmm. might invest everything into this thing that you love and want and you might not get it but if you can wrap your head around what you learned from that thing so that when you go to do it again you come at it with more firepower and mm -hmm. more experience um and honestly as far as the comic book goes it, it paid off because yeah nottingham turned into this huge hit for mad cave and they it's the most books they've ever sold ever um so it was supposed to only be one series and it was such a hit that they wanted to do another one so i'm very grateful that it connected with people and I get to keep doing this for another series and then we'll see what happens after that. I've seen a few of the drawings and I'm telling you, they are so rad. They are so good. How long does it Thank take you. you? How long does it take you to do one of those drawings? I'm a firm like page a day artist. So, wow. um, a lot and of that's hours. just kind of, 
Yeah, and I mean, especially doing the first series because it was such it was such a learning curve. I've learned obviously since that series, like a lot of shortcuts or things that I was wasting time on. Also, just your skill gets better. It's like anything; you eventually get faster. And mm-hmm. um, as my amazing supportive wife Dana will tell you, like I would draw till four o'clock, get up and and go to bed for two hours. I get up at six and start the next page and just. But that's. It sounds like, like me. There's, well, <laughs> doing these interviews in the magazine. It sounds like oh, me. Oh, <laughs> I can't even imagine. But I think if you love something and, and also if you've committed to doing it, mm-hmm. uh, there were really there were really heavy deadlines with that first series, and there there are some heavy deadlines coming up with this next one. And I've again going back to what I learned on the farm. If you said you're going to do something, you're going to do it. And it's like mm-hmm. if I have to trade sleep for work for a while, that's what I'm going to do. And I'll make sure it's done to the absolute best of my ability. And then you put it out to the world and I can't relax. I'm just, I think you're probably the same as me. I can't relax. I can't, and everybody might be able to say, oh, I'm going to go to sleep for a couple hours and then come back. I can't do it you, because then I think okay, I, I can't shut my head off. I got to get up and just finish it. You're absolutely going to hate me for this, Uh-oh. but I, I, I can, I can sleep at I any moment of the you. day. <laughs> do you know where it comes from though it honestly comes from it comes from touring i would imagine like yeah you would have to you're, well you're so sleep deprived and you have so many hours to drive um that you become very trained that like if you have 10 minutes and you're exhausted you just fall asleep if you're in a chair if you're laying on a bench if you're on a floor and you you i think i've become so good at that that this it's the same now where i'm drawing it's time to shut it down for an hour i just shut it down and then uh, i get back up see so, that's my advice I, I envy you because that's my vice is is okay, well, the sleep my, deprivation my recommendation is that you start a band go on tour for like <laughs> I'll go on 15 tour with years you guys. i'll take your photos yeah. I'll, I'll do all sleep. that yeah and then just sleep like an hour a night <laughs> for two or three months and then trust me, you'll start to just sleep yeah you'll just start falling asleep everywhere <laughs> now you do the digital boards for the nottingham series too and this tell us about the digital board in comparison to doing the drawings do you mean digital drawing mm-hmm. uh, i do both actually right now i'm i'm almost all traditional i do everything on paper now so um but I'd use, yeah, I'm very adept at my tablet and Photoshop is what I use because that's just kind of what I learned. But it's like, it's an art form in itself. I think a lot of people think that drawing digitally is uh, like cheating, but um, mm. it isn't. You still yeah. have to, you still have to draw. You still have to, um, Todd McFarland, one of my favorite artists of all time. Uh, he also, he was actually from Calgary. He said a great thing. He's like, I'll give you this tablet and I'll give you this stylus and I'll tell you to draw me a horse and I bet you the tablet won't do it for you. Mm. And I said, that's, but that's the thing, right? Whether you're doing it on paper. Um, I just, I prefer drawing on paper. Same um, here. I had to do my work on the tablet for the first series. Cause there are certain kind of not so much shortcuts, but like if you're not sure what you're doing, you can draw a bunch of stuff. And if it doesn't work, you just hit, you know, command Z and it's gone it's and you done. just yeah so but I've gained the confidence and the skill now and I just love putting ink on a paper or on a page it just it yeah it's it's a ton of fun to do but so I do both yeah I, I'll draw I usually do my pencil layouts digitally and uh, scan out blue line and then I ink over top of that so Very cool. it's, it, 
And a lot of people are doing that now. It's kind of the best of both worlds to just, I mean, you have to be fast enough to hit your deadlines and get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's not its not just the labor of love. There's also the real world, like nuts and bolts of having books come out on time. So It's nice because you're seeing a lot of artists doing this because it's now playing into a lot of the videos that I've seen yes. lately. Yeah, yeah, because there's been some really cool videos that I've seen lately that have been just this this end of it like the drawing end of it right yeah oh and there's just so much that you can do now and it's it's at people's fingertips and i just you're seeing people become more and more and more creative with what they can do mm-hmm. on their own and that's really exciting absolutely exciting now nottingham is the top selling one of the top selling yeah. indie books in the u.s yeah really yeah, it was in the summertime for sure yeah when's the next series coming out uh they just moved the deadlines way up I think there was a cancellation with a book they were going to have out. It was supposed to come out like next November, and I think now it's coming out in April. Oh. So very shortly, ac- actually. So after after we're done talking, I'm going to stay up for <laughs> four months, and then I'll go to sleep. He's going to be going to sleep <laughs> after that. So talk about this crossover between the love of music and your acting and your artistry and the design end of it, that interest in the comic books and and that whole production for you. Because you also did the cover for your new solo single, Shiver, with this. Yes, yeah. Um, Well, I I did the, uh, yeah, I had a, there's a couple things I'm using, like I did, there's a black picture of just kind of my face that's sort of in these birds that's gonna be the t-shirt art for Shiver. Um, I just, I love, even back in the day uh, when we were, the band was starting out, we just love doing things in-house um, and always love bands that did that. Not to say you have to do that, but it was always cool to know that, like, the t-shirt was designed by the band and, like, everything mm-hmm. you're getting is sort of like, and I love that and I still love it. Um, and the more the more success that I get across all these different things, the cooler it is to integrate them because... I'm starting to get comic fans that kind of want to hear my music and I'm starting to get music fans that are, are digging my art. Um, and yeah. And so it's really cool to put them together sort of as one thing. So it's like, well, this is the music, but this is also the visuals that go with that music. And I think going, I needed to start somewhere with it. And then I think going forward, I'll maybe discover new ways to do that or maybe new and better ways. But, uh, right now it's just kind of a, a big experiment on how I can put those things together in meaningful ways. You got a 20 page graphic novel that you've done. That's yes. Coinciding for shiver. Talk to us about that. So I, that I had shiver done and then this is a, this would be a whole other podcast for us, but uh, <laughs> shiver is the theme song in um, a show that's being oh, pitched to yes. Netflix. And- Pipe. Pipe Nation. Pipe Nation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just putting the finishing touches on the uh, on the pilot, and they're going to be shopping that to Netflix. And uh, there's a bunch, like global, a bunch of places that are interested in it. So Shiver's the the theme song, and I got really tight with the producer and the director and a lot of the cast. And so they filmed my music video. Wow. Which was awesome to have this like pro team do my video, and then. I just really loved the way the the video turned out visually uh, and that comes out next week a week after the single and so I just thought it would be cool to do a comic book adaptation of the video nice because 
because in a video, I mean, it, it's only it's three minutes. It's whatever, however long the song is. And I just mm. to expand on it a little bit, I just thought it would be a neat. I just kind of wanted when the single came out because I didn't have the time to do more songs and kind of what I wanted to do. I just wanted people to get a little more. Mm-hmm. I hate to say bang for their buck because they're streaming the song. So it's like their their yeah. buck is being stretched <laughs> pretty well. But uh, I just wanted something that could go with it and go with the video to be unique to me and something there's other artists like lights she is an incredible comic artist and Mm -hmm. uh other people that have done this in different ways and i just thought that's cool because it's something i can offer that's kind of unique and also super fun to do very strange to draw myself for 20 pages but i gotta uh... (laughs) see that i gotta see that i can't wait yeah and so you'll be able to to get the the digital version um through amazon next week okay and uh and then I only have, I don't have a ton of physical copies. I'll be selling some at shows, but mostly, uh, yeah, you can get the digital version as soon as the video comes out. So very yeah, I cool. thought it was just a cool, very cool tie-in to do and, and a lot of fun to do as well. As I said before, is there anything else that you want to tackle? Like, is there a, a gold medal or something that you got hidden away? <laughs> just just saying, there's got to be more. I'm telling you, you, just, you, you, you dive know, right into the, there, there's no shallow end for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anybody that hasn't had a lot of tragedy in their life. I've seen a lot of tragedy. I almost lost my mother when I was in my 20s, and my dad passed away a couple of years ago. And just, I think the older you get, you're hammered with these continual reminders of how short life is. Yeah. Especially when you see somebody so close to you pass away, it really hits home that this life ends. Like, it is not a forever thing. And it's no. like, if you're waiting around to try something because you're scared, Jerry Seinfeld has got a really great philosophy. He's like, you know, we're all going to be dead in 60 years anyway, so who cares? Like, what does it matter? And I love that. It's such simple, kind of frightening advice. You just don't seem to have any fear. And you, you seem to be able to I, gravitate and say, you know what? I might fear. I, I might, but I'm just going to do it. I'll be honest with you, I'm riddled with fear. I struggle with authenticity and, uh, you know, like imposter syndrome as much as anybody anybody mm-hmm. else does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's another great Seinfeld line where he says, uh, he's like, yeah, I do things without confidence all the time. That is the difference. And I think if I think if artists could be open with their fans and with people, they would admit that. Like, yeah, I'm not confident ever. I put out a song and I think it sucks. Like, I'm scared to put it out it's difficult to expose yourself in that way you're vulnerable Um, it's your most vulnerable place and i think you know i understand that why am i why would i ever wait for something when Mm -hmm. there isn't there is an end to at least this go around you know so i only get this life in this body with these experiences once so and i personally have been given I'm blessed with gifts and I just want to use those things that I've been given. And honestly, I think the overriding thing for me is from the youngest age, I always had the sense that if I were dying, if I knew I had a day to live, the only thing I don't want is regret. Mm -hmm. Trying something and failing is not the worst thing in the world. It doesn't feel good. That's how we grow, but that's how we learn. Like I I don't look at at fear as something that holds me back I look at it as okay I'm either going to do this or I'm not going to do it I'm going to regret it if I don't if I fail then I know what not to do yeah right? and I, I, don't I think know. I just look at you're it so right I, you're so right and personally I think you can't master fear you can't master mm-hmm. it but you can master the ability to 
push through while experiencing fear. Mm-hmm. You you can learn how to move through it and and still do your thing. And it it's never not rewarding. At mm-hmm. least because at least you know you can say you were in the arena. Even if you tried something and it didn't go well and everybody hated it, you just say, well, what are you doing? That's mm-hmm. worth me judging, right? Like it's that's kind of the way I look at it. I if I put something out and people don't like it, oh well, it meant something. I'm to not. You. Yeah, and it's like it, like you said too. It can be a learning experience, and um, and also people like to judge because people are they have a lot going on in their own lives, so it's easier to judge somebody else's life and choices that's in front of them than well, I think address their own things. So exactly, because I know for me, like when COVID hit, and I knew oh, I wasn't going to be able to to go out and work, I knew that I had to stay. And I was so afraid of doing the podcast. I thought, you know, do I do this? I can build it from scratch. It's not a problem. So I did that, did the magazine covers, did did all of that. And yeah. running the magazine from the house and doing all of those things. But I had a fear of going live for some reason. And yet I did so many live shows where I spoke to people that called in, did that on TV yeah. for years and doing the yeah. interviews and stuff. But I don't know. There was just something about doing the podcast that I was really scared of. And well, I think because it's, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, it's your thing. Mm-hmm. It's you, it's you made it, you, <laughs> you, you nailed it. <laughs> well, you're not, cause you're not allowed to say like, you know, oh, well, yeah, the thing went poorly, but it's because, you know, this person screwed it up or I was given, you know, whatever. There's people you can look around and blame, but when it's just your thing, mm-hmm. you're like, well, if this doesn't go well, I am the person. And so it just, it adds a little extra spice to that recipe a little bit what 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 has been your vice throughout your career something that's been a hard Uh, hurdle for you maybe it's just being a musician maybe it's I don't know like what's been the tough one for you well I would say maybe not a vice but a uh, a downside to my personality type maybe is it that has definitely made things harder is like I do not like to share um, mm. I'm very, very, I think it's why I get comfortable with comic art. Cause it's like, I draw it. It's me. I put it out at the end. Uh, I've never been a great collaborator. I've, that's something that I've had to really, really learn and let go of my ego. Hmm. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I want things my way all the time and it's, I've done a lot of therapy in my life, which has helped me extremely um, to work through those things and why I'm that way. Mm-hmm. And being able to do it and allowing people in and allowing other people's ideas in has only made my art better in all ways, music, mm-hmm. uh, everything else, learning to be collaborative and, and really indulging in collaboration. But mm-hmm. I think I just... Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe part of it is like the natural rebellious streak that comes along with being a musician and a rocker where you're just like, no one tells me what to do. <laughs> right? <laughs> but you and, and that's great for a lot of things because it allows you to sort of plow through things that you should be scared of doing and you just go in head first and no one's going to tell you no. Uh, it can be helpful, but also it can be destructive if it's if you don't find a way to keep it under control at mm-hmm. certain times like there are times where that is not helpful that's a very poor way to live your life at times right so mm-hmm. that's been probably the biggest thing in my career that has been hard to get through is just kind of getting over my own ego and getting over my own sort of need to do things my way you know and some of that was learned and I think some of that is just natural I think some of that just kind of comes with being somebody who 
if you tell me to do something, I'll see what it's going to be right away, and then I want to do that thing. And if somebody else says, ah, what if you change this thing? I'd be like, no, I've already planned it out. Get out of here. I'm doing my way. And that's always kind of been my knee-jerk reaction to things. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very difficult to move through that and not be that way so much. Well, I think because maybe with the work ethic that you've had lends to that a little bit because you're disciplined in what you do. You've got an idea that's set in your head. You want to see it through. And that might be a part of that too, right? That discipline yeah. that you have. Absolutely. And it's it can be music, especially anything in the arts can be very difficult because you will get people who are they want to inject their ideas to get their credit or get their mm -hmm. piece of the pie it could be money reasons or and so there's a fear of that yeah. for sure as well yeah, um so some of that. it is definitely yeah some of it is definitely comes from a just a self-protection spot mm -hmm. of like you know but some of it just comes from being a selfish dick so <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what, at least it opens up a lot of conversation, you know, for a lot of people. And I, I think it's just really great that you've said all that. What, what, what advice well, would you give yourself, a younger version of yourself today? I think that I would probably give my younger self the advice of give yourself grace, like give yourself a break. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the first things that I learned in therapy because i i'm very open about it now like uh mental health issues and it's just such a huge thing in, in the world now and always has been but uh i had a very very severe case of ocd like legitimate obsessive compulsive disorder that was near life ruining like it would had gone down a terrible road and so that's where i went to therapy the mm -hmm. to work through that but also once i was getting a handle on that part of my mind you start you naturally get into just life therapy and and those sorts of things but the very very first thing that we really worked on in therapy was basically giving yourself a break for being human mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. uh, about the things you want or think about or sometimes the negative things that come into your head it's like you're human you're not perfect and you can't be perfect and i always and still do to a degree, but I always put a lot of pressure on myself. Like if I'm going to start a rock band, we're going to be the Rolling Stones or nothing. Everything in between is not acceptable. And that kind of thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, if things weren't happening fast enough, I get you get angry or you get down on yourself or, you know. The negative um, thoughts, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think I would probably go back and I'd say, hey, kid, like, just take a breath take a deep breath it's okay like you're gonna screw up sometimes and you're you're not always gonna think or do the right things but you gotta if the biggest thing in this life that you need to do to have a better life i think is truly and it sounds like pie in the sky but it's just so real is like you need to learn to love yourself mm -hmm. and to understand yourself and cut yourself a break when you think or do things that you regret or just you're like I, it's kind of hard to explain, but just to cut well, you yourself miss, a break for who you are. You yeah, miss so like, many moments in life. And I, th I think that's what it comes down to the niche of it is just that you miss so many moments that could have been so different. 
if you weren't in that negative space. And it, I think it's that tight control of your environment. I think that's where it comes from because you guys being on the road and you've got so many people around you that want to get in and want to yeah. be a part of it. And that's, you're talking about is that protection, but that control is the only thing that you can have. And it kind of goes in the opposite yeah. direction too far. Oh, absolutely. I mean, any kind of negative things that we have typically come from positive impulses, right? Mm -hmm. Like that sort of self-protection thing is it's a great response and can keep you safe. But if you let it go too far, it can also really, yeah, yeah, it can burn you up and, and, and cause a lot of failure in your life. But, uh, Hmm. And maybe I would also tell the younger version of myself, you should get more singing lessons and, and get that under control quicker. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you, you singing lessons? Hmm. Oh, no, trust me. I, I'm, a, I'm a notoriously uh, pitchy singer. And, and the guys that I love, like Cornell was pretty pitchy too. Singing in those high registers is very difficult. It is. Um, yeah. So, you know, but again, I cut myself a break. I was a kid in my 20s. You, you learn as you learn. <laughs> well, let's, let's just say it this way. We wouldn't know that. You know that because of the way that you're hard on yourself that way. But when we're seeing you and, and the band perform, I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, well, thank you. That, that means a lot. So there you go. So Thank more, you. more of what you might think of yourself, but I don't think we see that. <laughs> now you've been doing so much, like you said, Pipe Nations coming up with the TV series. And then you also, yep. you've been doing some acting along the way here yep. too, because you've been on um, the Jan Arden show. You've done some other work in Alberta. Tell us about that. Well, you know what? I, as I said before, I was acting before I got into music. And, and when I went full on into music, I always knew Again, I could pick up acting at any point in my life and try to, to do that to whatever degree I could. And so when I moved to Calgary to be uh, with my wife, Dana, a great thing about moving here is there's actually a pretty good film industry here. I mean, mm -hmm. not lot, only do they film a lot. A lot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. They don't and they don't just film Westerns like they film. There's a ton of stuff that films here. So I, I got a. A really good agent who she is very lenient with you know when I have to leave for seven months she's like okay well I won't book you <laughs> so mm. but I just wanted to get kind of my feet wet with again I, I do a lot of background stuff when I just to kind of be back into it um, but that's only a little bit of what I do I landed my first speaking role in a, a film that wrapped in late 2019 and so that's been on the back burner since mm. covid so uh so i'll have my first act it's an indie film uh they're just looking for distribution right now but i got okay. a i got a speaking role so i got to i was a bad guy in that one so i got Whoa. to play yeah, that's the fun a, part isn't of, it the fun parts oh it was kind guy. of fun <laughs> yeah i i got to play as like a drunken person who was out for money and all these really fun things so that was cool nice um, the acting thing is cool because I'm full on with OBS. Uh, obviously, I'm doing some solo stuff now with Shiver and the comic book art takes up a big chunk of my time. And acting is kind of in this cool place where when I can do it, I do it. And, you know, I've got a decent amount of auditions. And like I said, I got this role and I've had some other. I was just in uh, a Western that they filmed here. Not a huge role. It's just playing like a henchman. Um so a non-speaking role, but it was a little more in camera, which was fun. So I can kind of take things on, but not worry about becoming a big-time movie star. It's just fun to, to be acting again because it is something that I've loved to do my whole life. So, And I also know that 
if things slow down with music or anything else that I could dive harder into that. And I want to build up enough of it that I think in the future, my honest goal is that when Kurt and I want to do OBS stuff, we can go do OBS stuff. Mm -hmm. um, when I want to do solo stuff, I can do it. If I want to do comic art or any of that, it's available. If I want to do more acting, it, that's I just want to have these things available to me, mm -hmm. depending on where I am in my life, that I'm not starting any of them from scratch, mm -hmm. that they're all kind of have a really nice baseline so that I can just kind of go in and indulge my passion and get as much art out as I possibly can. Well, that creative outlet too, I would imagine kind of maybe reignites that fire when it goes to you picking up the guitar and oh, maybe writing absolutely. something new. Am I right there? Yeah. I mean, that's really how Shiver came to be was just uh, a period of being after, yeah, whatever, 17 years of straight touring and writing and <laughs> recording. And I was, you know, to to be brief, I was burned out, like just creatively burned out. You kind of just lose the, you lose the script on the whole thing and why you pick your guitar up and there's nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're, you're thinking more in terms of like, okay, we got to write a hit. We got to write, you know, raging bull went number one. What's bigger. Like let's, and that's just not a good way to ever create art. Um, it's not a real way to create art in my mind. And so with shiver, it was a process of like, why did I like doing this in the first place and trying to reconnect to a place within myself of just writing for the pure joy and love of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really what the lyrics are all about. And, and just my connection to that song and through, honestly, when I kind of put OBS down a little bit, as far as like, I can't write hits right now. I am just, my head is not there. I just need to write some stuff for myself. Mm -hmm. As soon as I started to write for myself with no thought of why, you know, writing a song to be on the radio or anything, I wrote so many OBS ideas. <laughs> so it's nice and fresh, right? For you. Yeah. Like, and they just started to flow out of me and the more comic art, like I'll sit here drawing pictures and all of a sudden I'll kind of, a riff will sort of start brewing in my head. And so it's, being able to focus on other art has totally fueled my creativity with One Bad Sun uh, music nice. again. And so yeah, it's just been a real blessing that way. Absolutely. Now you recorded in 2019, you did Shiver. That's when you wrote that, yeah. right? Tell us about the whole process that you take when it comes to going into writing a song. It's funny. It comes from a lot of different places. I have a lot of very disparate ideas like little nuggets of things and that's always been the great thing about the band is that you could bring a little nugget in and then somebody would say oh wow like Kurt would throw a crazy beat on it that I would never think of and then that would ignite the rest of the writing mm -hmm. or we just come up with stuff on the spot very spontaneously so there's a lot of different ways that I would go about writing a song sometimes I could sit down and just kind of be hacking around on my guitar and five minutes later there's most of a song there with lyrics and just whatever that antenna is that picks up these ideas from because they really feel like when that happens and that creativity starts to flow it's not really coming from you it's wherever it's coming from you're like this conduit that's just sort of interpreting mm -hmm. and you really feel it flowing through you what's then, happening to you in that moment right yeah absolutely and so so sometimes I could sit down and just write a whole song and sometimes I'll come up with a really cool idea and two years later I still can't figure it out was there influences like in the rock music and that impact that you had growing up that played into 
this first solo single for you for shiver yes definitely um i mean i'm a huge chris cornell fan mm. always have been I love his lyrics um just always connected with his music but i also loved i think only later more mid to late 20s i started to get into like johnny cash and waylon jennings and kind of outlaw country stuff and i just love that sound and there's just some darkness in that but it's not darkness that is depressing if that makes sense it's Mm -hmm. like the it's Mm -hmm. kind of mining this sort of darkness of the human spirit and i love those kind of dark grooves that also have uplifting parts and that's really kind of what shiver is um but also there's a there's definitely i i have a hard time shaking my alice in chains roots <laughs> and my love of the music i grew up on and in the bands like zeppelin i mean it, it's how can you not be inspired by a band like led zeppelin they're just so they're great oh, at rock music best. they're great at acoustic mu- music they have such a wide variety of stuff that all seems to work so i also just love i love the idea that you know of trying my voice out on some different sounding things um yeah definitely boy did you deliver on this one i absolutely love the song i love the whole i really appreciate it the whole approach to the production of it i love the guitar playing i i just love that western it's just done differently where you know you're putting more production into that end of it bringing it back into the rock at the same time right yeah i really appreciate that thank you so much for saying it because it is there's like a western sort of feel but not country Mm -hmm. like it's not like modern country it's more like i grew up watching a lot of westerns like my dad loved clint eastwood movies and um you know john john way oh yeah so those especially the clint eastwood like the sergio leone westerns um Ennio Morricone mm-hmm. was the the composer who just that music is insane it's just so it's not country music it's this weird country west I, I it's hard to even explain what it is but it's just so cool like um it's a creative just, take on it where you know it's just I, I don't know you just got something so special with this I'm really hoping that you do a few more like this oh there's I definitely have, I've got some other tracks. There's a song that uh, I wrote called I've Got a Devil that I'm dying to get recorded. It's Ooh. like right in right in the same kind of vein. Uh, yeah. And I did I did the song also. The producer was Eric Ratz, who produced the oh, Black wow. Buffalo record. Yeah, there you go. And he's, yeah. him and I just worked very well together. And uh, we had, we, we honestly had, which is what I wanted because, we had a lot of fun because recording one bad sun stuff, it can be fun at times, but it's also like, it's grueling. You go in to do a whole record and it's a lot of singing that big stuff. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of like moving parts, trying to get all the guitars and all the drums and all the vocals. And it can be fun, but incredibly daunting. This was more like we're doing one song. It's just me. It's supposed to be very minimal. Right. So, mm-hmm there's a lot of things that we just didn't have to worry about that normally you would with like a really big rock production. Mm-hmm. So well, it was ex- freeing in that way. You were exploring a lot more with your vocals in this song too. That was just really unique. I really liked it. I really, really appreciate that. Cause I obviously want it to be in a lower register for the most part and kind of explore more of that Johnny Cash side of my voice. Cause mm-hmm. I think OBS fans know me very well for the big, really high Cornellian 
you the up. notes that I can hit. So I like to do, I have this lower register in my voice. So it was cool to really play with that for sure. Oh yeah. And especially, you know, when you're being able to sustain those lower notes, like on that high end of it, but like in that lower range, it was so cool to be able to hear that sultry side. And I, oh, I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That that really means a lot. I, I really appreciate that. Well, it brings that fire out. And that's that's what you pick up with the song right away. But we were tapping on, you know, some of the things that you were going through, you know, at the time, but it brings about that focus on how life can change, and not losing yes. your spirit in that process. And yeah. I, that's what I get from it. And you know, I think it's just such a great song. Well, I'm just, I'm so glad that you got that out of the lyrics and, and I've had a lot of people say the same because really it's, it's, it's funny because where it came from, where I kind of got to writing with One Bad Son was nobody's fault and it wasn't even my fault. Like, it's not like the band and I were having a hard time writing or we were like fighting or it was nothing like that. I think it's just a natural progression of, you know, when you start a band, you got nothing on it. So it's just, you're hanging with your friends, writing rock tunes. How mm -hmm. fun is that? It's fun. Everything's fun. You're like, wow, this is great. And you get into the studio for the first time and that's fun. And you're getting out and you're trying to build your audience. And when we got our first hits like Scarecrows and Retribution Blues and uh, like It Ain't Right, like that was great, but it still wasn't this point of feeling like, oh, we got to top that now. We just wanted to continue to keep that train rolling so when black buffalo came around um we just were like let's keep like learning to write and write better stuff and then we had a big hit with satellite hotel and you know psycho killer did crazy things for us obviously we didn't write that one but mm -hmm. uh but i think after black buffalo it was successful to a point where we were like, okay, we've never been able to break top five. Like it would be great to get something in the top three range mm -hmm. on radio. And, and I think as soon as for me within my own self, I'd know that once I started to think about writing in terms of writing higher charting songs, rather than just honing my writing ability, I think I didn't consciously make that choice. I think it just happened in this natural way. Like you're just, you see what, radio play and all those things can do and we start opening up for Def Leppard and Judas Priest and like Shine you know all these mm -hmm. bands that you you naturally are like well you want to keep that going so when it came to Made in the Name um, I think the last song that we really wrote that felt like a great collaborative One Bad Son song was like Raging Bull mm -hmm. even though there's songs on that record I love like I love Hurricane and there's other songs that I love on that record but it just after Raging Bull, that really felt good, but it just started to then get to this point of like, in my own mind, I was now deep at that point without realizing it. I had gone down a pretty deep hole of like writing for a thing, not writing yeah, because I love that then. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I just kind of, at some point, uh, we did a, a tour with Sebastian Bach through across the US, which was great, but just it was the capper on this sort of time where I was exhausted and just mm -hmm. my creativity became exhausted and physically I was exhausted and um, yeah it's very hard to to write with any kind of love or passion when you just feel like you just mm -hmm. want to lay on the ground and do nothing right so and I'm surprised yeah, you it's... didn't come to that sooner in your career but you know to I think it's just because like you said it did so well 
and then to be able to come off of that is just like there's so much you guys were going through at the time and oh yeah everybody gets to that place where it's just you know you're expected so much out of yourselves but you're that to write is a different animal altogether and to be able to continue to put that pressure on yourself sooner or later you know it's going to break and you just need that time to, to be able to unplug and i think when you're looking at this song and you're looking at the capability you know and being able to write more as you said for obs now is coming yeah. so much easier to you because you were able to unplug and get away from all the noise and yeah yeah such such a big well, difference in creativity it really is and somebody asked me like do you think you could avoid that in a band like that Mm-mm. kind of burnout and i said i i honestly don't think you I can think i think so. you yeah you have to sort of experience it to get like okay I've gone too far now, or I've didn't realize this is how exhausted I was. Um, and I know Kurt has said the same thing. Like we got together to write and it was so fun. Like we just were at a place now coming through all that where now that you recognize it, you'll never get back there. Mm-hmm. And it just felt so good to sit with my friend again and write and just laugh about stuff and, and come up with like, we have such great ideas that we're excited to keep exploring to have recorded next year and stuff that it feels more like it it feels like it used to as far as being fun but it even feels better than that because you have learned so much along the way yeah you just you have you have all these experiences and stuff to draw on and, and you're not taking those things for granted um and just so grateful and fortunate to still be able to do this and have a crowd that's pumped to hear new songs and they're gonna come to shows like what a gift. Oh, so excited for you guys. I know it's like when you when I'm thinking about what you just said there, it's just like taking a race car and being able to take it into the the top gear. You can't keep it there. You can't keep no. revving it at that speed all the time without having to gear down. Sooner or later you're yeah. gonna have to. And you can't do that well, to an engine. And that's exactly what you guys have been going through. I I will say we played a show, I forget where, and it was at the end of a, a super long tour. <laughs> And this lady came up to me and it was like such a mothering moment. Like it was so, it was just like this pure moment where we played the show and we were back at the merch table and I must've just looked like death incarnate. Like I just, she just came up to me and I was like, Oh, hi. Like, did you enjoy the show? She just looked at me. She's like, you please need to, you need to get some sleep. please." <laughs> and I, oh just God, like, love her soul. <laughs> Oh man, she was so legit, like just so like uh, real about it in the moment of just like you could tell she just wanted to be like, just take, go, go get, but I must have looked terrible. Like I must, I probably didn't sleep for days, but yeah, you, you get, you get a few real moments like that on the road where fans definitely recognize like we appreciate that you're out here doing this, but you, you also need to survive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We love what you do. We're going to be here when you get back. But you know what? You need to take care of yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's such a pure moment. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's nice when those little hints come and you've probably heard it more than you realize. And it just stood out with her. But you probably heard it from other people, but you just shut it down. Yeah. Right? And you don't even hear it. It becomes that part of that noise. And then just one minute just out of nowhere those doors keep coming (laughs) people keep walking through and telling you but you know sooner or later you end up hearing them right (laughs) oh it's it's so true it's so true we're gonna play shiver the very first solo release for shane connery volk here on music's journey did you wake up with that old feeling inside can you see the faded picture through the cloud in your mind 
stop trying to find yourself Stop searching your soul and started paying the bills It's hard to see the sky when there's gold in the hills Hey Shiver, the first solo release for Shane Connery Volk here on Music's Journey. This is a labor of love for you. So you guys are going to be back on the road. You're going to be doing that for 2022. Do you know roughly or are you guys waiting? Yeah, I think like, um, and I've said this about playing live shows for in support of like Shiver. Um, mm-hmm. Kurt and I just, we recognize that there's no point in trying to have some sort of big plan. Like we, obviously we'd love to have things ready for summer festivals and that sort of thing but it's it's very contingent on where things are and and just wanting people to be safe and just yeah we don't have hard dates on anything we're definitely writing now and want to i hopefully be recording in the early-ish new year to be ready for some shows and i don't think that we're planning on doing any kind of like four-month tours you know we want to just start by playing some shows and getting back and enjoying the whole thing so we want to have balance in our lives and also just uh be aware that covid is not going to shut off at the Mm -mm. stroke of midnight on new year's eve so it's like (laughs) there's still going to be things next year Um, a lot of people are going to be going through for sure yeah it's, a, it's very much a uh, roll with the punches time for music. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to get out. However, that works itself out. Yeah, we will definitely keep people posted. Well, I am so excited about this solo single, Shiver, my friend. My... Well, thank you so much. This is brilliant. 
brilliant. I'm so, so, so happy to hear that. Thank you. Absolutely brilliant. Now, the song, again, has already been picked up. We said this earlier for the TV series called Pipe Nation. Congratulations on your first solo. What does it feel like in this moment of your career to actually hear that, have it done in production, and it's being released now? It feels great honestly and a little bit surreal maybe just because um it's been a long road to get this song out it was supposed to be out a year and a half ago so uh yeah it just feels i think the cool the the best feeling about having it out is it's the first time that i legitimately feel like my music and the band's music now is going to start coming back like sorry my my experience of music not Mm -hmm. just my music Mm -hmm. but like i get to do music again um, and the band is going to get to do music again. So it's kind of this, a little bit of a watershed moment of, I knew once the single came out, that meant, okay, like we're doing that again. Wow. So that's a great feeling. And I just can't wait to do more of my own stuff and more, more stuff with OBS and I Katie. Can't, so. I can't wait to see you explore this side. I really cannot wait. Now, one week after the single drops, you've got the official music video. You've got the comic yep. book adaption. Tell you us bet. about that. Um, well, the video, like I said, it was shot by the director and the producer of Pipe Nation. So it's a cool video. Like I, we kind of had an idea and threw it together uh, in a few days. We sort of did it quickly, and which was fun to not overthink stuff and just get out and, and film. But it, I think it turned out really cool. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, yeah, you'll have to judge for yourself when it comes out, but it tells a little bit of a story, kind of the story of what the lyrics are. So, um, and we shot it in Drumheller. Ooh. at uh, some of the yeah some of the just such a beautiful lunar landscape out there it's gorgeous wow. so very cool visuals it was a ton of fun to do so yeah that's that's exciting and yeah that comes out in a week wow i'm also doing this new thing on my youtube channel called the midnight drawer <gasps> i forgot where... about this yes <laughs> yeah, i forgot i i remembered that because when i was looking last night because you're going to be doing that what once a week or something yeah, I'm kind of looking at once a week, and I'm not. I'm keeping a pretty loose grip on it. But uh, the first episode was so much fun. We just hung out, had some drinks late at night, and uh, worked on some art. So, Ooh, uh, nice. Yeah. we get to see that process of you working on something. Yeah, definitely. And it's it was kind of a cool mix of music people and comic book people, and everybody just. Hang, it's kind of like if you're up that late at night, you're probably the kind of person that would enjoy be this me. sort of thing. <laughs> <That would laughs> yeah, be you'll me. be there. Um, that would be me for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of just, that's a super fun new thing that I'm doing. And uh, I'll, I'll be, yeah, I'm kind of looking at a once a week sort of thing. And I might actually start inking a few of my pages on there too. And That would be cool. Most, that would be yeah, really cool. Yeah, just a, a cool hang, um, you know, it's fun to play shows for people and fans and but these sort of things especially doing live drawing it's cool to just talk to Mm -hmm. fans and friends and stuff and everybody's just mixing and enjoying themselves so yeah well I just knew that there was just so much (laughs) I wanted to talk to you about because this has been so much fun it's just a breath of fresh air I've loved it and I'm a talker anybody that knows me will (laughs) say that like you you could ask one question and Shane will eat up two hours of time so I uh I appreciate you asking such awesome questions and just having this chat with me. This has been so much fun. Do you have time to do some birding questions? Yeah, great. Okay, so let's, let's do a few of those. All right. If you could be a superhero, what would you be? And what would you name Batman. it? Batman. If Straight you created up Batman. one. If you, if if you I created, created one. one. 
I'd probably be a Batman knockoff, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I don't know. I feel like you could take a lot of uh, like you could get really deep about this, but like I just want the power to fly. I always have. Mm, Come on, I soar over top a... of everything. That'd be cool. Oh, how great would that be? That would he... be so. I, I, yeah, a superhero. If I had to have powers, I would probably take flight. I know a lot of people would say invulnerability, but. I just, I want to fly around. That'd be so cool. <laughs> well, see, when, I'm a wildlife photographer, so one of my favorite things to take pictures of is, is eagles. And uh, oh, that's, that's the awesome. reason. That's the whole reason. Okay. Very so cool. If you could spend a month in a country with your wife and you could take part of the culture and the people, where would that be and why? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Uh, well, we're travelers. We love to travel. Hmm. Well, you know, she did a trip to Peru just before we got together and that's a place i've always wanted to go Ooh, that'd uh, be nice. yeah yeah i would love to so i'm a big big history fan so this is a difficult question because there's places i would go just to like nerd out and soak up history but um yeah a place like peru would be incredible nice if you could own a guitar or a bass yep. guitar by any artist past or present one that they've played whose would it be and why uh, whew, that's another great question. Well, hey, you know what? I'm a lefty, so let's just, as much as I would love to, like, own one of Cornell's guitars, let's just narrow it down to guitars I could actually play. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, come on. Like, it, it would be a Hendrix guitar. Nice. Right? I figured you I, might I'd say probably, that. <laughs> yeah. Though, I, I remember I went to Seattle. There was, uh, there was a big music exhibit. It was a Nirvana exhibit. Mm-hmm. And I had like a spiritual moment seeing Cobain's guitars hanging up because normally, normally as a lefty, it's cool to see people's guitars, but I'm like, I'm one of the only people in this room that could actually play that guitar. And I'm like, that was a cool moment nice. for me. So, nice. but I mean, I would probably, I would probably take uh, I would probably take a Hendrix guitar for sure. Very cool. Now I know you're a baseball fan, like you oh, love baseball. Love it. If you could own a Jersey of any player past or present who would it be and why uh it would be hmm oh actually this is an easy one i'd take a paul o'neill jersey he's the reason that Ooh. i got into baseball and uh why i'm still a yankees fan to this day but i full disclosure i'm mostly a paul o'neill fan oh, so okay paul o'neill was my he was my guy and I, of course when jeter came in i like that was my era so i'm uh. i'm still even though they're they're long retired, I'm still every time the Yankees take the field, I'm still cheering for O'Neill and Jeter. Very cool, <laughs> very cool. Okay, so tell us one rebellious thing that you did as a kid. One rebellious thing. Hmm. <laughs> I know we have to really narrow it down. <laughs> that's a that's a good question. It's like a question of what what can you divulge, <laughs> right? Like um, exactly. It's a well, podcast. you know, I yeah, that's true. I will say though, there there wasn't a ton of rebellious things you could do growing up on a farm because you're very like you're you're not living in town, so you you can't like get together with your buddies and do a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> you're, mm-hmm. you're coming home to a place, and it's like my, uh, yeah, I was I, I never wanted to get in trouble with my folks, but uh, but I will. This is a funny one, and it's hilarious coming from like a rock and roller. It's like the most hilariously rebellious thing. <laughs> I remember the first time I put my hat on backwards. I knew, I knew I would get shit from my dad. Um, 
I just knew I just knew because it was like an era where that was just kind of like starting to be a thing and I'm like this is gonna be my thing like this is like the oh god what would I have been like 10 11 12 or something right and I was starting to be cool um so I just have a very vivid and I love my dad like he just he was the biggest personality in the world my mom was cool with it because my mom is super cool in general Mm -hmm. but uh, I just remember I bought this red hat for some reason I found this red hat and I put it on backwards and I got home and my dad let me have it he's like you turn that goddamn thing around that did you have how the you pants that went down half across your butt at the same time no but i it, they were very baggy i was mm. moving into it was moving into yeah like mid 90s and it was baggy pants and uh i was i it's so funny that you asked that question because i just remember i literally remember the moment where i turned my hat around and i'm like my dad's gonna kill me <laughs> i'm gonna push the envelope here and turn my hat around <laughs> yeah such an innocent thing it's such an innocent thing when you think back on it but at the moment i was terrified i'm like this is not yeah. gonna go over well <laughs> what is your favorite memory growing up on the farm with your father oh you know there's so many i just there really is so many but i think I think it's why I still love going to the farm now is just there's um, any time that we would be able to just sit um, on the porch and just hang out. Like you're looking out into nature. Greatest and just, place to unplug, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and I could I could get into a million different stories of, of my my childhood and just how incredible it was growing up on the farm and my parents just being amazing human beings and stuff I'd get into with my brothers. But yeah, I have very vivid memories of just hanging with my dad on the deck and just chatting, which <laughs> is what we always as he was a he was a babbler like I am. He is totally, totally could just talk and yeah i mean nice. i just i feel that presence every time i'm there absolutely so um great, great yeah, those, memory. those memories oh they'll always be with me all the time very nice what is the last full album you've listened to the last full like front to back mm-hmm. hmm i knew this well, would be a our, one probably well you know the funny thing is our uh dana and i our vinyl player just crapped out on us and we used to listen to a lot so I'm, I'm looking for a new turntable right now um Ooh. but uh probably exile on main street oh okay nice yeah, yeah probably exile i uh, i would always get up and just throw attend to like you know making coffee or something throw throw a record on and just let it play nice. so um yeah yeah that yeah I, I think that is probably the last like front to back record i've listened to very cool favorite rock song of all time oh man that's way too tough that's way too tough um oh geez yeah that that is like near impossible to say favorite of all time um you're you're catching me on a blank here because i'm like i mean like a million of them come to mind right and then if you say one you're like ah shoot i should have said this other one but uh oh man okay I have to give you an answer here. So, I mean, rack, I mean, just absolutely rack my brain here. Hard one for me to answer too, because I, I love music of all genres, but um, rock especially. So there's yeah, and so it's just, many for me too. I think the hard thing is like, you would pick a favorite song based on what mood you're currently in That's as well, true. right? Cause, That's true. Um, 
Do you know a song that I listen to a lot and it always puts me in a great mood is Beast of Burden by the mm-hmm. Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's my absolute number one of all time, that is like, I love that song and I know it's a huge hit and you're, I'm supposed to say something very uh, like indie and, and like name you some obscure song no one's heard about and try to be very like cool about it. But like, <laughs> nope, not um, at all. Just the honest answer. Yeah. That or, or that or, um, Actually, like Beast of Burden, I, there is never a time I can put that song on and it doesn't just brighten my mood and just put me into some sort of amazing headspace. Um, and yeah, I, I, I could name, I could listen to Immigrant Song a million times over and never get tired of it. I think maybe that, if I was basing my choice on like songs that just I would never get tired of, even if you played it five times in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like Beast of Burden, let's let's say that one. I'm yeah. going to regret this as soon as we hang up, I'm going to be like... <laughs> Shit, I should have said like, I should have said something different. I should have said like, uh, yeah, like I should have named like ten different Soundgarden songs. But <laughs> now the the other question I was going to ask you is what song you've listened to lately that you had to go back to, get a copy of it, one that impressed you so much, a song that moved you as a writer. Um, actually, um, this is funny talking about maybe i'm just in a rolling stones headspace but i got hung up on um paint it black for a long time nice because and i was asked something kind of similar on a on another podcast they asked me like what song do you wish you would have written um and there's a million of those two that i wish that i had written but i think what i get hung up on that song because there's two parts and there's not really a chorus Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm you can listen to that song 20 times and not understand why it's so good because it really shouldn't be. If you were to sit down like with a professional like Nashville songwriter and give them, and you're like, oh, I wrote this song, they'd be like, well, this is garbage. First of all, we need a chorus. And you can't just like sing the same parts over and over and Mm -hmm. that's not a song. Like they would probably tell you instantly, that's a shit song. It's garbage. You need to, but it's so good. It's (laughs) It's so simple. I think yeah like i think it's what i maybe something i also was trying to do with shiver is this thing where it's dark but it doesn't leave you feeling miserable like you don't feel like oh my god like Mm -hmm. that was heavy like what a heavy song you feel good after and it's weird because it's called paint it black and it's got super dark lyrics Mm -hmm. and at the end you really kind of feel good about yourself (laughs) that's why it's so strange (laughs) it's so strange but uh i i mean yeah, that song, I just, I, I, uh, I, I do go back to that one, absolutely. Very cool. Okay, last one. When you're okay. on, on the road as much as you you have in over the years, is there a place that you've got to stop at that you love to eat? Um, Favorite restaurant? That's a, that's a funny question because when you're on the road, like we're all pretty health conscious. Kurt and I are very health conscious, and especially on the road, you can easily go down this horrible road of eating really terrible food and all these things and so like there's rarely places where when you get to a stop you've got to go to because you have so little time i could describe to you in absolute detail every bathroom stop between (laughs) vancouver and halifax Um, i bet you could oh man You're like, oh, I woke up, it's 4 a.m. And oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this bathroom. Uh, We're here again. It's Thunder Bay. That's where we are. So, you know, that's, I wish that I had an awesome answer for that. But, uh, you know, I'm going to say this, and this is the weirdest answer I'll probably give in in a series of strange answers. But 
I got so sick of eating Subway because in a world of terrible fast food that you're like, I just can't eat McDonald's every day. You can't mm-hmm. like you, you'll, you will literally your insides will just disintegrate. So often we would stop at a Subway because it's like there's vegetables there of some kind. You think of I that as your vouch. healthy food. <laughs> well, and you're like, cause it, it, in a, in like a sea of terrible choices, it's your best of the worst. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course you don't have a choice in where you stop oftentimes you're just stopping to get gas or and so you're like your only choice was subway and i get so sick of it but after two years away i'm telling you i would kill to have a subway sub (laughs) just because it would it would feel like i'm on tour again (laughs) yeah he's gonna be going okay there's a subway around the corner (laughs) yeah Yeah. and you see you see a you see a poor rock and roller eating a sub with a single tear in his eye just missing (laughs) just missing the road (laughs) well have you guys got any shows that you got coming up between here Uh, and january I have a show December 2nd in Saskatoon. It's not announced yet, but uh, and I'm working on one other show in Calgary, kind of like a shiver release thing. So Ooh. I'm only going to have time really for a couple because of these mm-hmm. crazy tight deadlines. And they're still touch and go with some of the vaccine passports, and I'm really demanding that there's vaccine mm-hmm. mandatory stuff for any show. So I'm going to have something in Saskatoon and something in Calgary late November, early December. Where can fans get a hold of everything, latest news, your tour information, the comic, the concerts, uh, all of it? Your one-stop shop is shaneconnerrevolt.com. That'll link you up to all my social media and everything else that I've got going on. So if that's your, if you forget everywhere else that I am, just go to the website and you can link out from there. But I'm like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I, I'm, I'm finally gearing up my YouTube channel, so there'll be more and more stuff there too so those are my main stops plus once a week your youtube you're going to be doing that drawing series as well i i become i become the midnight drawer at midnight once a week so do you have any specific night that you do it right now it's pretty loose i know that i should schedule things like if i was really trying to build an audience quickly i'd say every but i'm kind of like i like the idea that like whoever randomly is awake at a midnight on like wednesday (laughs) you you get to watch it live you know now i'm gonna have to pop in for sure because there's never a time that i'm not up at that time it's usually awesome three and four that i'm going to bed it's it's crazy stupid hours (laughs) well hey if you're awake sometime it's usually midnight eastern Okay. So it's a it's a bit of a cheat on my end because then I'm drawing at like ten, but then That's I'm usually true. up. That's so I'm usually true. I'm usually up I'm usually up much later anyway. But, <laughs> um, but I always announce it like uh, on Instagram. I'll always okay. throw up a post that day and say it's midnight. Congratulations and thank you so much for spending some time with us. We look forward to seeing you guys on the road in 2022. Oh, I appreciate it so much, Kim. Thank you so much for the time. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Shane Connery Volk. What a special soul. So we've got some great shows that are coming up for you. You can catch my show every Tuesday evening from 7 until 9 p.m. Or you can check out all of the interviews at musicsjourney.com. We've got some great, interesting articles with all the latest music, videos, all the information that you've got for all the artists that I interview on nowandthenmagazine.com. You can also listen to all the podcasts on all of your streaming platforms under Music's Journey Podcast. That's it for me, your host Kim Sear. Thank you so much for tuning into Music's Journey. Did you wake up with that old feeling inside? Can you see the face?
Stop searching your soul and started paying the bills. It's hard to see the sky. 